how would you um, be our teacher and move in our hearts, Lord, that we could uh, turn and see you and know you more deeply and truthfully. Lord, help us, we pray. Um, Lord, we now, we now just lay ourselves before you and we ask, would you, would you speak to us through your word in Jesus' name? Amen. Uh, I wonder, is, do you ever wish people would just stop talking? Which I realize is a risky question to ask at the beginning of a sermon. Uh, maybe there's somebody in particular you have in mind that you wish would just stop talking. Uh, maybe there's a group of people. Uh, just hold on to that thought. Not too closely, but just keep it there. Uh, and our passage this morning um, is, is about one person who is a Christian, who's a follower of Jesus, talks about Jesus with another person who's not a follower of Jesus. And by the end of the conversation, the, uh, the person who previously had never heard of Jesus is baptized as one of his followers and is filled with incredible joy. It's incredible. It's an incredible story. And, it, and partly it's incredible because, um, because the reality that is most familiar to most of us is that, is that we neither experience nor expect joyful outcomes from conversations with people who don't already share our beliefs. Isn't that true? Uh, and I think that cuts in all ways. Uh, and we could, we could spend the rest of the morning thinking about how that's true. Um, so it, perhaps if you're not a follower of Jesus here today, um, you might be thinking something like, when I hear Christians talk, it doesn't produce joy at all. Uh, and maybe that's what's actually kept you outside the faith, uh, or maybe that's what pushed you out of your own personal faith that you once held, or out of a faith community that you were once a part of. And it's probably true that even if you are a follower of Jesus, uh, as you listen to the loudest voices, uh, that are broadcast most widely across sort of the, uh, the, you know, the Internet, the, uh, the multimedia public square that we have. Um, you, they, those things, those loudest voices, probably at one time or another have caused you to cringe, maybe more than filled you with joy. Uh, there, there's an image I'd like to, to, uh, to help maybe think about what some of the speech that we receive is kind of like. Uh, it's an iconic uh, image from the film North by Northwest. Uh, if you could put that up, John. Um, th this is one way of thinking about the way we receive speech from other people in, in our life. Um, and sometimes some of the loudest voices uh, that represent the church. Uh, I'll, I'll leave it up to you to sort of decide who you are in that photo. Um, if you haven't seen the film, I highly recommend it to you. Um, but... There's something ominous about the crop duster, of course, um, and we can receive conversations or be received not as bringers of joy, but more something like this. Um, you can take it down. Uh, in, in such a time and place as ours, do we really need more talking, more words, more speaking about Jesus and God and faith of the Bible? Or would followers of Jesus be better served to observe a vow of silence and just quietly try to do the right thing? and hope God extends his kingdom through telepathy. Uh, this year, uh, as you, if you're here last week, together with our sister churches, as Ed uh, reminded us at the beginning, in the Liberty Communion, um, around Philadelphia and beyond, we're, we're reviewing our mission statement to live, speak, and serve as the very presence of Jesus in our local neighborhoods. Uh, the sermons we're preaching 
are not only shared in the topic and the scripture, but much of what uh, much of the main points and some of the meat of what we'll share I'll share with you this morning is also being shared at the other other churches. So if you happen to happen upon the other church's sermon and you you've, uh, Josh said that very same thing, that that's actually not a bug. That's a feature. That's by design. We're, we're hoping to share some of the same language together to help build the unity uh, in our communion of uh, of churches. And so last week, Angelo began with live. Live as the very presence of Jesus. Uh, And this morning, we'll consider our mission to speak as the very presence of Jesus in and around uh, Glenside, in and around Montgomery County, in and around wherever you live. Um, And the best speech is that which tells of Jesus and brings joy. The season of Christmastide and Epiphany remind us each year that we should be ready to say, like the angel to the shepherds, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. So this passage reminds us that, that we are not actually called to fulfill a vow of silence. Some of you might have gotten hopeful that that's where I was going. No, no. Uh, we're not called to fulfill a vow of silence. But, but it, it, this passage puts, maybe, maybe you could put it like this. There's a question before us. Can you envision, can you get a vision for becoming the kind of person whose words bring joy? I wonder as a follower of Jesus if you can get a vision for that. You become the kind of person whose speech brings joy to other people's life. So this morning we're going to look at how God uh, packages and delivers the message of joy. And you have three headings. Where? Where is the joy sent? What's the message and who receives it? So first, where? Where does our joyful talk go? Where is the speech going? Um, at first glance, it can seem like there's only two characters in this story, uh, Philip and the Ethiopian. But, uh, but the author of Acts, Luke, the physician and historian, uh, he makes clear that there's a third character in the story. The divine architect is behind the encounter. Um, and he gives Philip some instructions, you see very early on, and they're strange instructions. He says, leave Samaria. Leave Samaria. Uh, which is strange if you if you read the, the the passage beforehand, because Philip was having great success uh, preaching the gospel in Samaria. So imagine yourself at your most successful point in maybe your working life, and God comes and says, "So you, now you need to leave." It's a little bit what like what happened with Philip. Leave that place where you're really thriving, and I'm going to send you elsewhere. And where does he send him? To the Jerusalem Gaza road. So just to to orient you, Samaria is 30 miles north of Jerusalem uh, and 93, uh, I'm sorry, yes, and 93 miles miles north of Gaza. So it's about a 30 to 93 mile an hour trip, mile an hour, mile trip, uh, probably on foot, uh, for a meeting that will literally take place on the side of a road. Um, And so that puts Philip on a deserted road um, where there's going to be no one during the the noonday heat. Um, It's actually kind of similar to that landscape I showed you in North by Northwest. Um, If what I just said was gibberish to you, I'm going to show you a map. That'll help. Um, So uh, here's Samaria, where Philip was successfully preaching the gospel. Jerusalem, where the Ethiopian was coming from. And then the road that God tells him to meet him on. So not only is he supposed to leave a place he's being very successful, but he's got to make a long trip to an un, sort of an undisclosed location, right? A little bit of like a secret mission feel to it. 
so why would God send this successful proven evangelist out into the middle of nowhere, into this road in between? Um, thanks, John. You can take it down. Uh, because he knew that's exactly where this Ethiopian man will be, when he will be there, and at what time he'd be reading that particular passage from Isaiah so that Philip could start that conversation with him. Uh, so if you remember from the map, Jerusalem was actually a much more convenient point for Philip to meet him at. It's a lot closer. Um, it's more like, hey, I can find Jerusalem, right? I can get there. Um, but God in his wisdom, he, he had this moment that he knew the Ethiopian would be able to hear about Jesus. And, and that's actually the first point for us. It's very simple. Where, uh, wherever God is already moving and sending us, this is where we bring our speech. Where has God put you? Where is he moving you toward? This is where we bring our speech. Uh, from God's perspective, there are no meaningless moments because God is divinely orchestrating all things. And we don't mean that in sort of a creepy, like, uh, puppet master kind of way, um, but as a beautiful, interwoven tapestry, God orchestrates all things in our lives. And this is helpful, it, it, kind of thinking about where we bring our speech from both kind of a wide-angle lens and then close up in your life. So just quickly, take the wide angle. Um, speaking about Jesus, generally speaking right now, from a wide point of view, is very unpopular, as I mentioned before. Um, but actually, historically speaking, that's more the norm than the exception. I think it's important for us to recognize that. Uh, the, the heyday of speaking about Jesus was not all the rest of history. And now we're suddenly at the worst part. part. Uh, Many people today argue that Christian ideas are not only wrong and silly and outmoded, but actually harmful and dangerous. But if God is in charge of all history, then he's also in charge of the obstacles and the challenges that we face and the pressures that we feel. And I think it's important, as we think about where we bring our speech, um, that, that at a certain point, if the volume of our bemoaning cultural trends is louder than the joy we speak, brothers and sisters, if that moaning about the culture is louder than the joy of the good news we have, then, then we definitely are becoming more crop duster than a herald of good news. And more importantly, we miss the opportunity for faith to believe that God is using our circumstances so that we can have just the right conversations about just the right topics with just the right kind of people. And so that's sort of the wide-angle lens, right? You, 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 you're not better off if you're born in a different cultural time and place. God has put you here for this particular cultural moment in America. Uh, and, and, this is, and we also see, though, that, that there's something ordinary happening here in this, right? Uh, God moves in an extraordinary way to orchestrate the ordinary, this, this roadside encounter. The details of our daily lives possess the same ordinary quality. Um, extraordinary intention and grace of God results in a multitude of ordinary encounters that I don't need to tell you about. You're going to walk into them today, in your home, where you work, at your school, uh, in your church. Where you are is presently, is divinely ordinary. And he has prepared you just the way he wanted you by placing you in contact with those you're already in contact with. So where does your speech go? right into the places God has already left you. I hope, I hope that you receive that with some level of uh, relief, 
uh, there's a sense in which God has, um, you, you've sort of showed up at a New Year's Eve party. Somebody else is hosting. They've done all the work. They've done all the organizing. They've laid out everything. You just need to show up and talk to people. I, I realize it might not always feel like that in the day-to-day, but, but if we, this is about, am I going to trust that the Lord has put me where he wants me to be? That's where I bring my speech. So that's where, um, what, do I, what do I say then? And this is, so that's the where, the, the what then is maybe where we get a little bit more nervous. It's where I get nervous. Um, okay, God, you, you've sent me to my work tomorrow, and I'll use some speech of joy. But then what, what's the, what do I say? Uh, well, let's, let's look at Philip. The, spirit, the Spirit's final prompt is to jog up alongside the chariot as it trundles along. Um, and before anything, notice that he listens first. And then once he hears what's being read, he sees his opportunity, and he doesn't need any more prompting. Um, and he asks, do you understand what you're reading? Uh, it, it's sort of, it's, there's, like I said before, there's extraordinary elements to bring this about, but what Philip does is so, so simple. Philip listens first so that he knows what's on the eunuch's mind and starts there. Uh, when he begins by listening, uh, he lowers himself to serve the eunuch. And in this case, what Philip hears makes the circumstances pretty plain. He's reading from Scripture. That's, generally speaking, a good starting point. Um, and you might not encounter that every day. I know that when you go to work or go on your Zoom meeting or whatever you're doing tomorrow or you go into your classroom, uh, students, you likely will not find one of your classmates openly reading Isaiah uh, as a lead-in to, to talk with them. But, but, I, but I would just offer to you that the inlets, the, the ways to to find places for speech in people's lives around you are maybe not reading scripture obvious, but are just as there for us to discover. Uh, As you listen to somebody in your life, perhaps think of somebody right now that you're going to encounter tomorrow on a Monday morning. You can think, what do I know about this person? And what might God be wanting to take, where, where might God be wanting to take them? Or maybe you could put it the question a different way. Where might the knowledge of something particular about God bring joy to this person's life? And so like Philip, we can simply do what Jesus did first, speak and teach. And that's actually, that's what Jesus mostly wanted to do. He often wanted to just talk with people at dinner parties. If you read through the Gospels, it can be kind of amazing. Jesus was at dinner parties talking with people constantly. Uh, In fact, Mark tells us when the demands for healing started to crowd out the speaking with people, Jesus would relocate to focus again on speaking and teaching with people. And so likewise, followers of Jesus live and speak in such a way to demonstrate that truth about God. And and hear me, what we're not saying is that you are overanalyzing every word that you use as whether or not it's a reflection of God. Um, I said it was a good day. I didn't say it was a great day. What does that say about God? That's, we're, not, we're, not, we're not trying to hyperanalyze uh, what, what you're saying. Um, and nor are we saying, though, that every time you speak to somebody, it should be evangelistic. Our, our speech is not to be seen as, um, as kickboxing all the time, right, to try and win somebody over. 
But, but think about it more like this. If the Spirit of God pervades us, if he is with us, then you're actually less anxious. You're not analyzing every word. Um, and you can discern the difference between what's trivial and what's important. You're, you're also freed from the, the, fer- the need to evangelize everybody all the time, which I'm not trying to put down evangelism. But, but you're, not, you're not an anxious presence. That's my point. You're not, you're not attacking at people. Uh, the spirit, when the Spirit is dwelling with you in your speech, you're trusting God's leading and timing. You're not passive, but you're a participant in his work. Uh, let, let me just flush it out a little bit more. Um, how would this work out? Think about somebody in your life who, who is, struggles with anxiety. And that's, that's, that's a good one right now because odds are excellent that every person in this room knows somebody who's struggling with anxiety. It's just if, if, the, if the, the survey data we receive tells us anything that's true about what particularly uh, teens and young adults are wrestling with. Uh, your joyful speech to someone, the scriptures don't tell us exactly necessarily what to say to that person, but think of it this way. If you're pervaded by the Spirit of God, if Psalm 23 is true in your life, if you're the kind of person who says and lives and knows, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He leads me beside still waters. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. He sets a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Right? If all these things are true, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Right? You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy, surely goodness will follow me all the days of my life. If I'm that kind of person, if that, if that Psalm 23 pervades through my life, then what kind of speech do I bring to that anxious person? Right? That, that's what this is about. That's where the Spirit leads us. I speak to that, that person as somebody who knows God as the Good Shepherd. And, and Philip knows that we need that. We need real people to help us understand the Scriptures. Um, God does not use just the Bible to convert people. If that were true, we would be a publishing house and not a church. Uh, he definitely uses the book. He uses his word, but he uses people and conversations. And so the answer to the question, what do you say? What do you say? Is, that, is this, as a follower of Jesus, you become the kind of person who in everyday situations can speak of the abundant life God has given you. What do I say? I become, by by dwelling with Jesus, by walking with him through prayer and scripture, I become the kind of person who in everyday situations can speak out of the abundant life that God has given you. Uh, I experienced this just real quick. I'll just give you two examples. Um, This can be directly, like I said, sometimes this is directly talking about God. Sometimes this is just the way you speak about reality. Uh, a recent, sorry, um, sorry. Recently, uh, I had I had this experience. I had dear friends bookended my day. Uh, it was kind of an unexpected thing. Uh, saw saw the husband in the morning. 
saw, uh, saw the, the wife of, in the, the friendship uh, later in the evening, but not by design. And throughout, based on, they didn't actually even name anything specific about scripture, but the way that they spoke about reality and parenting um, helped me just parent without anxiousness. Um, just the way that they spoke about what's true and right. They represented to me speech that brought abundant life. They didn't say to me, Josh, you should stop being anxious about your children. Sometimes I need that, right? Um, but it was the way that they spoke about life and reality, the way that they, they spoke into my life, indirectly um, brought speech to me and, and led me to, to good news. Uh, more, a direct example, and sometimes this is exactly what we need. Kind of through conversation with KJ, my sister, she relayed to me something Rosemary said to her. Rosemary Miller, who's um, our, one of our missionaries in London, and she just encouraged KJ, hey, don't forget, everything we do is, needs to be about relying on the spirit and prayer. And KJ just said that. <laughs> that just that hit me like a thunderbolt. I mean, you know, that's a Sunday school answer, right, in some ways. But th- this is the way our speech can, can sort of jar us and speak to us in unexpected ways by the spirit. Oh, yeah, I need, I need to humbly rely upon the spirit. Oh, yeah, I need to live a life of prayer. Um, and this is how our speech, this is the kinds of things that we speak to each other. So, so, that, so we have the where, we have the what, and then finally, um, who receives the message? Uh, who receives this message of joy found in Jesus? Um, we don't get uh, the name of this, this Ethiopian character here, uh, but we learn quite a lot about him. First, he's Ethiopian. Uh, at times in the ancient kingdom, uh, in the ancient kingdom of Ethiopia, uh, included what is now modern-day modern Ethiopia, but also Sudan and, and South Sudan. Uh, so we, we learned that about him. We learned that he's influential. Uh, the office is described as the Treasury sector, Secretary of Ethiopia, so he's got some, he's got some, uh, some influence there. We learned that he's wealthy. Um, God bless you. We learned that he's wealthy. He's able to afford a trip to Jerusalem, uh, and he's able to purchase a costly kind of souvenir, a, a hand-copied book of Isaiah. So... We, Thank God for publishing houses, by the way. I don't want to put them down at all. We have an abundance of Bibles around us. There were not copy, handwritten copies of Isaiah floating around the ancient world. So the fact that he had one tells us something about how much his, his lifestyle. Um, we also learn then that he's both highly educated. He's, he's reading. Uh, and, and he's also open-minded. He's actually willing to learn. I don't know about you, but if people come up next to my car and start telling me something about uh, maybe something I'm even reading, I'm like, no, 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 I got it. I'm good. Um, he, 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 he stops and he listens. He invites Philip, uh, this sort of refugee traveling by foot, uh, to listen. But, but not everything, of course, is wonderful for this, for this man. Um, he's a eunuch, uh, which means that he probably would have been castrated, he would have been castrated probably before puberty. Um, and, and eunuchs were, were often employed as royal servants um, because they're considered less dangerous attendants to serve the queen um, and to supervise the king's harem. Uh, without offspring also, they, they wouldn't be angling to advance their own family's politi- uh, political fortunes. Um, and without any family ties, they're, they're kind of expendable too. They're, they're easy to replace or execute without any political repercussions. And so uh, while he may have enjoyed some influence, um, there's also a certain sense in which he was, he was uh, looked down upon, not respected. Uh, there's a sort of a lack of, of status that comes in being a eunuch. 
um, in the ancient world, even as he, he's given that office. And so add to that, though, not only that uh, he's just come from Jerusalem, and in Jerusalem he would have experienced another form of exclusion. Uh, he's traveled at least 700 miles to get to Jerusalem. And probably far more. And he would have stopped at the outer courts of the temple. And he would have been told, you can come no further. Uh, as a non-Jew, he would not have been able to come closer than the court of the Gentiles. And as a eunuch, he would never have been allowed to become a Jew by circumcision. So he's unable to participate in temple wor worship. He's excluded from a membership among God's people. And, and nevertheless, he pursues God through studying his word. And Isaiah uh, is a particularly good book for him to be reading. Uh, it's a long book, as you know. Uh, and so if he started at the beginning, he's been reading for a, a good while to get to chapter 53. Uh, and as he's there, so what's the question that he asks? You didn't notice the question. Right before the quoted passage, Isaiah describes the rejection and suffering of a man of sorrows. But God will use his affliction to make him a substitute who brings peace, an end to the conflict between humanity and God. So he's reading in the story, God and humanity will be reconciled, and the Ethiopian does not ask the question, how? He asks the more important question, who? Who? Philip points the Ethiopian to Jesus. And then he asks the last big question, verse 36, what prevents me from being baptized? And that, that's sort of a beautiful question in some ways, a, a tragically beautiful question, because think about how often the eunuch may have asked that question. Uh, what prevents me from having a wife and a family? I'm a eunuch. What prevents me from being accepted by my peers? I'm a eunuch. What prevents me from entering the temple? I'm a eunuch. And up until that point, there's always been a bar that he can't clear. And, and to be clear, why is that? Is, that, is, that, is it because God was super picky in the Old Testament? And then kind of by the time we get around to, to Jesus, he sort of loosens up a little bit? So no, short answer, no. Uh, a little bit more is that the Old Testament law is actually is actually a teaching aid. And, it, and what it did is it spoke about physical defects as a way to speak about our spiritual defects. Uh, the physical impotence of the eunuch is a way to point to our spiritual impotence, our spiritual un, uh, inability to reproduce. And so the, the point, what God is pointing to is spiritually we are all eunuchs. We're unable to bring forth spiritual good, spiritual life. We are all impotent before God to do good. And so that's why we all need an answer to the question of who. We all need that answer. Who can do for me before God what I cannot? Who can fix what's broken in our world and in my life? Who can cleanse what I've stained and soiled? Who can work through me for good to others as I cannot do on my own? And the joyful news, the joyful speech of Jesus for the eunuch is that in Christ, there are no, there's no bar that he doesn't clear. There's no requirement that he fails. There's nothing to prevent him or us from being fully welcomed and accepted by God 
because of Jesus, every requirement has been satisfied by him. Every shortcoming has been absorbed. So what prevents him or you or I from being baptized, from being identified with Jesus in his death and resurrection, from enjoying adoption into the very family of God? Nothing. Nothing prevents you. That's the joyful news this morning. That's the joyful news we receive. Nothing prevents us. And so in receiving and accepting that joy, brothers and sisters, those of you who follow Christ, here's the invitation. You become someone whose speech bears the good news of the kingdom to the people in your life. Your speech brings this joyful news to the eunuchs of today. You, you go out now this week, and by your speech you declare, blessed are the poor, because the kingdom is available to you. Blessed are the anxious. Blessed are the depressed. Blessed are the addicted. Blessed are the sexual minorities, as this passage in particular reminds us. Blessed are the friendless. Blessed are the homeless. Blessed are the fatherless. Blessed are the childless. Because the good news of the kingdom is nothing prevents you from coming. And so, so ponder this for a moment. Who in your life needs to hear words like this? Who in your life needs to hear speech from you that speaks of this joyful news that we have received? I'm going to invite the worship team to come forward. Uh, just a way of closing, just the invitation again. Repent, my brothers and sisters, and believe the good news. Your sins are forgiven. God has done and is doing what we're impotent to do ourselves. And nothing prevents you from being joined with Jesus in baptism. So that what God said to Jesus at his baptism might be his word to you now. Hear this word. Hear what Jesus, hear what the Father says to you. The same words he said to, to his son at his baptism. He says, you are my beloved child. My beloved son, my beloved daughter. With you, I am well pleased. Amen. Lord, we thank you for this word. We, we thank you that nothing prevents us, and nothing prevents us from bringing uh, this good news, Lord, to others. Help us, we pray. Help us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to go to the table this morning, and I uh, just want to give you an invitation to the Lord's table. Uh, Christ invites all people who trust in Christ as their Savior to dine at his table where he will feed them with himself by the Holy Spirit. Come to receive all the benefits and blessings of his atoning death, his life-giving resurrection, and his ascended lordship. As we come to the table as repentant sinners, Christ wants to assure us of his forgiveness. As we come with our struggles, Christ wants to assure us of his living presence. As we come with our doubts, Christ wants to touch us with the flesh and blood reality of his life. My brothers and sisters, you've now heard the invitation to this table. Bring your hearts before the Lord. 
Take a time to confess your sins and seek his face.